0: So you sent your kids, your son and your daughter, to the Met High School. It's located in downtown, I think it's 810 V Street. And you appraise it because of That's its it. innovative structure, the fact that it promotes independence within these youth, and it also builds hands-on learning. And then you mentioned having a parenting style that involved trust in these in these youth and these you know, programs and everything like that. So the Met High School, how is it faring these days? I
1: think it's doing well. Um, You know, what's really awesome about the Met is it is very, it's a small school. It's about 300 students. And what I love about it is it's um, an advisory model. So when you start as a freshman, you are assigned to your advisor and you stay with that advisor for four years. So you still go to, you know, go to classes for your different subjects. You still go out in the community and do your internship and you have a mentor, At your community organization, so if you're volunteering in the council office, somebody in the council office is your mentor, but you stay with this advisor for four years. So it's very. um, It was already the type of learning where you weren't sitting in a classroom five days a week. So um, for many of the youth that go to the Met, they were already used to having kind of a different type of schedule to have to make decisions about their internship and working with their mentors. And I know some of the internships did obviously get turned upside down because they needed to be in person. But because the Met was already a non-traditional environment and there's a lot of really close relationships within that school, um, I feel like youth were less likely to get lost. You know, like right now there's a lot of issues with youth just like not logging into class, like just not showing up um but when you know the same like my daughter has had had the same my daughter and son had the same advisor um this this man by the name of Chico Gonzalez and I love him so much he's he's like a second father to my kids he's just you know been with us he has he knows my kids back back and forth and if my daughter didn't show up on you know on the zoom for the class he would be calling he'd be texting me like hey what's going on so i think The smaller schools, kind of like smaller nonprofits, it's like they can pivot and change and grow more quickly. You know, when you're in a big organization or big government structure, it's really hard to change. But when you're small, you can be nimble. You can can flex and change um, in the face of something like COVID. So while there's still issues and it's not easy, um, they create youth that are thinkers and are creative and they support that mindset. So they're not as rigid in the way that they approach learning. And so they're like, okay, well, this is the world that we're in right now. What are we going to do about it? How are we going to address this? And how do we make the best of it? And I, I, while it was hard, it's my daughter's senior year. You know, she got totally up. So she was graduating from high school. I was graduating with my master's degree. And my son was graduating from college all this summer. And we all of our graduations got blown up, like completely ruined, basically, by COVID. But we just made the best of it. And, you know, seeing my kids go through the type of school where everything isn't laid out for them and they have to think for themselves, I think they are much better prepared to deal with something like COVID than um, a more traditional environment where, you know, you're just being told what to do by teachers.
0: To all the parents and kids listening to this podcast, when Rachel is speaking so highly of the Met, it's 100% true. I actually attended the Met High School for ninth grade, and I was paired with Christopher Chu, he was the advisor for that. Oh, Chris. You know Chris? (laughs) I do. He's an awesome guy. And yeah, the advisory concept really built that sense of trusting your peers and trusting your teacher, whom you address by their first name. That was a big thing. Yeah. yeah, it really checks all the boxes students are looking for in a non-traditional school. I was attempting to convince one of my peers, uh, I go to a virtual school now, to join that school if she if she was looking for it. She's just entering high school and she declined it and her mother declined it too on the account that apparently the Met is not faring well economically or it's not in a good area something like that. It was quite mm-hmm. frankly BS because it's a great school. <laughs> right? It's promoting well, political I think- thinking there's just no reason not to go.
1: No, I think that was, you know, that was one of the things. So when my kids were younger, I was, you know, as a newer parent, I really bought into this idea that like, it has to be like really strict academics and it has to be like homework, homework, homework. And so my kids went to Phoebe Hearst Elementary, which is like this nudie it's a public school, but it's like all of the, you know, it's like, if you really care about your kids, you send them to this school. Um, and I went and it was fine, you know, it, but it was very privileged and very um, it wasn't in our neighborhood. So we had to go outside of our neighborhood to send our kids there. So my kids didn't have friends in the neighborhood, which I think is kind of sad. And by the time, some of them, my son ended up going to Sutter for seventh and eighth grade. And by 8th grade he was so shut down from just the like the crazy pressure around just getting A's getting A's you know just that competitiveness that he would do his homework and then he wouldn't turn it in it would just like be in his backpack and I'm like dude why don't you turn in your homework and he's just like I oh, don't know I don't care he just gave up on school he hated it so much he was so tired of the pressure and the competition and when we decided that the met was going to be a better fit for him he, a lot of my my friends, like my peers, other parents were like, "Oh, that's a bad school, and they don't have good test scores, and they're, you know, it's a continuation school, and it's, it was just all of this nonsense about how it wasn't a good school because it didn't have good test scores, and test scores, you know, tell you something, but mostly what they tell you is the level of privilege of the kids taking the test." Um, and a lot of kids don't take tests well and i just kind of stopped buying into that idea that that's what a quote unquote good school is a good school is one that teaches you how to be an educated curious person who learns about yourself and what you care about and what you know we have, we always ask kids like what do you want to be when you grow up and I was listening to this presenter and he was like, I'm tired of people asking kids what they want to be when they grow up because none of like my job that I have right now at SAC Youth Works, I didn't even know that was a job. Like when I was in high school, I didn't, I just knew it was like doctor, nurse, teacher, secretary, working at bank. Like I didn't ever dream of a job like the job I have now. So asking a 17 year old, what do you want to be when you grow up? Isn't, Super useful or effective, but what he said was you should ask ask anyone what what problem what do you want to change what problems do you want to solve, and that's what the met does. The met is more like that than like what do you want to be when you grow up and you better get straight A's so you can go to this college and blah 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 blah, and it's not to be down on college or anything like that. I think that's fine and it's good, but. Like, what do you, what do you want your life to be? You know, what do you, what kind of person do you want to be? And I think that's, to me, like as a parent, that's what I want my kids to, to think about and to be able to focus their time and energy on. And that's my mindset around SAC Youth Works was, I don't want SAC Youth Works to be the how to tie a tie program. Like, I, did, I did like a lot of times adults will be like, oh, work, work readiness, While teaching them, you know, how to tuck in their shirt and how to tie a tie. And I don't want to be down on those things because I think, you know, there is a, you know, knowing how to present yourself does matter, but it's not all that matters. What really matters is what you, how are you helping kids discover who they are and what their dreams are and what their talents are? What do they care about? What are they good at? What do they, what do they do that doesn't feel like work and they love it that much? How do you help people connect to that i think we would have a much happier world if we really supported that kind of mindset with more people that it's yeah yeah we have to work and we have to earn money because we have to survive but how can you make that experience like your values and and tie back into who you are and who you want to be as a person
0: i mean understandably you know parents want the best for their kids and their children they want to send them to these top schools for academic Mm -hmm. preparation to enter the college arena But that's just more competition and what you were saying with the nonprofits is there shouldn't be competition like that it's not necessary what we need to equip these young people with is life experience and the idea that they can be independent Mm -hmm. and that they can think for themselves so
1: yeah and that we can trust them to do that you know that i think a lot of people don't trust youth they don't believe youth, they don't like youth to be perfectly honest i mean many of my friends will say, Oh, I wish my kids were babies. I can't I so I wish they were babies. And my husband and I are always like, No way, man, like we love the people that our kids are becoming. We love being able to have real conversations with them, when they're struggling with something to like have real conversations about how they're going to handle it, because we know that's how they're going to learn to handle things when we're not around. But I never I, I would take Parenting a fifteen-year-old or a sixteen-year-old or seven any day of the week over a baby, <laughs> any any day because you can have real conversations about life and about the world, and we don't always agree on everything. You know, if you ask my kids, they'd be like, "You're you think you're you know you use you you don't remember to use the right pronouns, you don't remember this," and I really try to honor and respect that, but I also try to help them understand, like, look, I am of a different generation, so. Some of this is new and some of it, you know, really I'm trying to understand and learn it and be really respectful, but I might not do it right. Um, And so, you know, I'm not perfect as a parent, but I, I really do love that time of life where you're just discovering who you are and you have this intellect that you, maybe when you're younger, you didn't have quite as sophisticated of an intellect, but, you know, youth have so much to offer. And I think that's what's amazing about SAC Youth Works. 16,000 hours of service to this community. That's, that's inc- like when people are like, oh, you know, the next generation's terrible and we're all going to hell, whatever. No, that's not true. I don't agree with that at all. And Sac Youth Works is proof that uh, we are in good hands with the next generation.
0: It seems that somebody somewhere will always have a gripe with something. I think that's the roach that's really going to oh, distinguish always. whether that's valid or not. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that you would prefer a 13 and right. 17 year old over the baby, that is awesome. That is truly awesome. You're clearly a supporter of youth. <laughs> and then even if you said, I prefer a baby, people complain that baby cries, that baby needs so much attention. Then when they're teens, oh, right. oh well, they're right. moody. They have attitude. There's no pleasing people sometimes. It's frustrating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> No, no, no. There's some
1: famous quote that's like, people hate two things, change, and the way things are. (laughs) It's like, people are never happy. They're, you know, they're never going to be happy. Um, And I try to just not trouble myself too much with that because you can't make everyone happy and you can't do everything perfectly and no situation is ever ideal. And if you beat yourself up about, being, if you're mad about that kind of stuff all the time, then you are not able to really engage and connect because you're always b- busy being bitter about something. And I, we just, I don't have time for that. We don't have time for that kind of bitterness in a world, the world that we have now. There are so many things that need to be addressed. So many things that need to be, you know, that need love and care and intention. They don't need more negativity.
0: And your focus with, you know, being the director of the youth and collective is to really make change. So what is the scalability of this entire nonprofit organization? How much change are you planning to make? Well, I think,
1: you know, what's been really awesome is that we have had this opportunity with SAC Youth Works to take all these concepts that we had about partnership and really put them to the test. Like what really happens when we have, You know, the city gives us these dollars and they're trusting us to get them out to the community. And it's not just theoretical about, you know, collaboration and, you know, all these grand ideas. We actually have to do it. And what we've seen as we have rolled out SAC Youth Works is we're learning different things about partnerships, you know, who we want to be, who we don't want to be, how we want to engage with people and how we don't. And what's happening is we're getting approached, like I was saying earlier, By more and more funders um, and other community leaders saying, you know, I have this idea that I, you know, could you guys help us get it out and, and engage partners? Can you help us with this? So I think that idea of just they see that we're able to execute on ideas and execute on ideas that involve multiple partners. And I don't know that everyone can do that. Um, and maybe we're just stupid enough <laughs> to do it and just be like, all right, we're going to give it a try and see what happens. But the, I think just showing that we could do it has gotten people's attention. And I think that from a scalability standpoint, you know, the first thing you have to do is, is have people believe in your concept, you know, believe that this is something that is possible. And when we first started talking about collaboration people were like, Oh, that's nice. Mm, Yeah, other people have tried that. It's really hard. I don't know. Oh, good luck to you. (laughs) And So, you know, we would leave meetings with funders, um, and just kind of feel like, well, I don't know if they get it, or they don't believe us or whatever. But now we're actually doing it. And they're like, Oh, oh, that's what you were talking about. Oh, I get it. You really can do it. So I think we just had to prove ourselves to the world um that we really could bring 32 organizations together serving 400 youth from all across this city and it be a pretty harmonious positive low drama experience that resulted in you know youth having money and also connections and building skills it can happen it happened so i think you know What's been happening is we're almost overwhelmed with opportunities to do things like this again. So we've been approached by one other partner this week, actually, to talk about SAC Youth Works, um, you know, outside of the city of Sacramento funding, but with other funding. So we're hoping we can continue to keep this program going and, and build other
0: collaborative programs as well. With you at the helm of SAC Youth Works and the Youth Collective, I have no doubt at all. We're <laughs> going to do amazing things. And I might need to call questions. you
1: and be like, can you pump me up? Can you pump me
0: up? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, even reviewing your LinkedIn profile before attending this interview, and I, you know, I gave you that sheet where you look over the types of questions we're going to be asking, etc. I was blown away. You, reading your LinkedIn, that description it was like reading a piece of finely woven art, and I can read you the quote now if you want.
1: <laughs> I don't even know what
0: I said. All right, it says, For over 20 years, I have been guided by the belief that my work should be an extension of my values. Every job I have taken has been rooted in the belief that I should be of service to others, particularly in Sacramento, the community that I love and I'm proud to call my home. Dot, dot, dot. Strong families are the foundation of a thriving society and a high quality education, access to healthcare, economic opportunities, and leadership development are the supports needed to grow healthy communities. Ms. Rachel, are you a poet? Is there something, you mentioned a <laughs> blog, you mentioned the blog. Yeah. Where yeah. do we find that piece of heaven, um, paradise? So
1: I, like I shared earlier, <clears throat> excuse me, I just finished graduate school and my, I just got a master's in education with a focus on educational entrepreneurship. So like, how do you, how do you take traditional education or um, nonprofits and like, how do you create and innovate within those structures? So that's so much of what I'm excited about, but I'm also really excited about leadership um, and how, you know, my concepts around trusting people is, is, I think it's like so natural to me. But as I've talked to people, they're like, no, I've never had bosses trust me. My parents don't trust me. Nobody trusts me. You're the only person that I've ever worked for that's ever really trusted me. So I just started kind of writing about different leadership concepts, um, some of my own challenges as a leader, um, some of my own life transitions in leadership. And so it's just a topic that I'm really passionate about because I think, Everybody has this ability to be a leader, whether it's just in your own life or in your organization or your school or wherever it is. But a lot of times you don't have the support um, from a mentor or from, you know, a teacher or whatever it is. So you kind of have to like mentor yourself in a way. (laughs) So I, I started my blog called The Leader Creator because it was like, how do you, like, how could I provide support? You know, just through what I wrote, to help people kind of look inward at their skills, at their talents, at their passions, um, and to see that some of the challenges that they've faced actually are make them stronger, make them uh, more interesting, make them better um, at connecting with other people. So, um, so that was really my passion. Um, SAC Youth Works has kind of taken over my life, so uh, my writing has not not been amazing. Um, in the last you know few months but um, between finishing graduate school and I actually wrote a book manuscript for my project um, for graduate school so I've been doing a lot of writing but not necessarily putting it out at the
0: amount that I wanted to or want to so yeah there you go leader creators a blog where do we find that
1: um it's the lead
0: the dot com. The leadercreator.com, folks, that is your yep. hub yep. for all things educational entrepreneurship and how to find opportunities. Sort of.
1: It's kind of i – I'm a Buddhist, so there's some Buddhist influences and some things around meditation and mindfulness, but really it's more just around like bringing your humanity to your life, to your work, and, and not feeling like you have to just pretend you're someone that you're not, like to really authentically be you and – And know that that's actually going to be your strongest. That's your power. You know, who you really are is your power. And a lot of times we try to hide our gifts. We try to hide what we really think. We try to hide uh, maybe things in our past or our lives that we feel not embarrassed about, but, you know, don't always want to share with the world. And really those things help you connect to others who are going through their own struggles. And we need more of that connection. So it's all of those
0: things. I'm looking at your website right now, theleadercreator.com. Your motto is take charge of your journey. Uh, can you tell us more about that particular philosophy?
1: Yeah, I um I was going through a really difficult time professionally about a year and a half ago. And I'm really about new ideas and about creativity. And I could see that the organization that I was working for was not adapting and not changing. and I kept pitching different ideas and, and new ways of doing things and waiting for somebody to kind of like recognize that I was leading and that I was trying to be a leader and trying to show that I was thinking ahead. And it just felt like nobody was really listening to me. And so I started writing about it and started really thinking like, I can't wait for somebody to, to like, take me on my journey to my future I can't I can't let someone else control my destiny like I have to con- I have to step in and get into the driver's seat and take control over my life and my vision and my you know whether that's professional personal or whatever. And so that's what really I was just it was a time where I, I was like almost in like this severe depression from just I had all these ideas and every time I'd bring an idea, It would just mostly get ignored. And it was really like, I let it really get in my head. I let it really bother me. And then I was like, I don't have to hand over my self worth to anyone else. You know, just because they didn't hear my idea or they don't see it doesn't mean that it doesn't have value. I think I'm just in the wrong place, which I was. And then when COVID hit, my organization could not adapt, could not change, and could not survive. And so, that was it was, it was sad, and it was also like, okay, you guys, this is what I was talking about: is we need to pivot, we need to change, we need to do some different things, um, so that we can attract funders, you know, keep them interested in what we're doing, but they just weren't willing to do that, and so, it it was just one of those times where I was like, I have these insights, and as I started talking to people. Um, they kind of were like, this really resonates with me, what you're saying. And so I just started writing about different topics um, that just came into my mind. And I was trying to write every Sunday, like post every Sunday, but it was more than I could do with school and my organizational leadership and all the other stuff that I was doing.
0: I'm looking at this website right now. There's comedy, there's passion, there's information and education. (laughs) You are a woman of many talents, I must say. And... I guess that's where this 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 apt in writing your LinkedIn description comes from.
1: Yeah, I mean, I love writing. I love being able to maybe express some of the things that are in my mind around just what it means to go to work, what it means to be to put ideas out into the world. Um, and to try to like learn what I always say, and this is like a big thing in, in Buddhism, is to make friends with yourself. You know, how do you how do you look inward and really learn who you are, what you care about, how can you be kind to others even when you're really upset and angry and struggling? Um, <clears throat> and how do we just build a, a better world where we do listen to one another and we do look for the humanity in others and we see the the cracks, you know, the things that are wrong with us um, as a way to connect with other people, because we're all human. We all go through hard times. And I think instead of hiding it and pretending, how do we really open up and share our vulnerabilities with other people? Because I think all of us know, like when you do that, you usually you build a deeper relationship with people when you really do share yourself with them, even the things that you're not as proud of or that you think people will look down on you for. So I, just all of that started really resonating with me because I was really struggling at work because I was trying to pretend like I had it all figured out and I was afraid to say what I was really thinking. And it was, it just became this like, this, just this spiral of me not really showing up for my life in the way that I wanted to. And I, you know, that's, you can be at any age and be at that point where you're like, I don't feel like I'm really the person that I want to be, and I'm not showing people who I really am, and I'm not really speaking up when I want to speak up, and I'm kind of dying inside a little bit, and I just got tired of that feeling and not, I wanted to share it because I felt like other people could relate. It as
0: definitely, well. definitely. I will be definitely reading into this after this interview. There's a lot of great stuff in your folks, the leader creator, Miss Rachel. Anything you want to say to the teens that are listening to this podcast?
1: Um, just that you're awesome and that you might not know exactly where you want to go and what you want to do, but don't let other people push you, like, follow your. Passion. follow what you love doing and don't feel like you have to like finish your degree at this time I mean I know for me I went through that where my mom was like you have to finish college by this and you have to do this by this time um don't don't buy into that if it means like you just want to work for a little bit or you want to explore the world or whatever it is that you want to do like don't feel like you have to follow someone else's script for you don't worry. And if you're not sure what your script is, also don't freak out. That's totally normal. Um, just kinda follow your heart and what feels right. And a lot of times you're gonna be on to something. So I would say anytime I really made a mistake in my life, it's because I didn't trust my gut instinct. Like my gut was telling me one thing and my brain was telling me something else, and in the end my gut was right. It's like that wasn't a good job, or that wasn't a good relationship, or that wasn't, you know, whatever. But Trust your gut, man. It's
0: real. It is real. And we're going to end off with this awesome quote from Ms. Minnick's source. To things, uh, people hate two things. People hate our change and the way things are. So don't (laughs) be that person. Don't be
1: that person.
0: Each and every one of our co-hosts and participants bring valuable life experience, articulative ability, and a passion for representing the needs and views of youth across the state and beyond. We are the Gen Zero Podcast, forging tomorrow's leaders today. Tune in for new episodes every Friday at 12 p.m., follow us on every social media platform at Gen Zero Podcast, and check out our website, thegenzeropodcast.com.